Would you join me in opening to Leviticus? The book of Leviticus. That's right, Leviticus. <laughs> so if you have a problem with dust, just put it onto the floor. There are two kinds of people. People who actually read instruction manuals and people who live life on the edge. People who, when playing games, consult the rule book and then people who annoy everyone else. People who follow recipes and mad scientists. Those who fall into the first category know that there's only one way to do it right. And those who fall into the second category are content with figuring it out on their own. You see, the first group trusts the process. That second group trusts the outcome. The book of Leviticus is an instruction manual for corporate worship. It is a rule book for worship leaders. It is a recipe for preparing offerings to God that are well-pleasing to his sight, to his taste, to his heart. Leviticus is the word of God, and it is profitable for our teaching, for our reproof, for our correction, and for our training in righteousness so that we, the people of God, might be adequate and equipped for every good work. Read along as I read out loud for us from the book of Leviticus chapter 16. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they had approached the presence of the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Aaron shall enter the holy place with this, with a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen tunic and the linen undergarments shall be next to his body and he shall be girded with the linen sash and attired with the linen turban. These are holy garments. Then he shall bathe his body in water and put them on. He shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot for the Lord fell and make it a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, to send it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the bull of the sin offering which is for himself and make atonement for himself and for his household. And he shall slaughter the bull of the sin offering which is for himself. He shall take a fire pan full of coals of fire from upon the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense and bring it inside the veil. He shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord 
that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the ark of the testimony. Otherwise, he will die. Moreover, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. Also, in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And thus he shall do for the tent of meeting, which abides with them in the midst of their impurities. When he goes in to make atonement in the holy place, no one shall be in the tent of meeting until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar on all sides. With his finger he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it seven times and cleanse it and from the impurities of the sons of Israel consecrate it. When he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a solitary land, and he shall release the goat into the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. He shall bathe his body with water in a holy place and put on his clothes and come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. Then he shall offer up in smoke the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The one who released the goat as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body with water. Then afterward he shall come into the camp. But the bull of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be taken outside the camp, and they shall burn their hides, their flesh and their refuse in the fire. Then the one who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body with water. Then afterward he shall come into the camp. This shall be a permanent statute for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall humble your souls and not do any work, whether the native or the alien who sojourns among you. For it is on this day that atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. You will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is to be a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, that you may humble your souls. It is a permanent statute. So the priest who is anointed and ordained to serve as priest in his father's place shall make atonement. He shall thus put on the linen garments, the holy garments, and make atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. He shall also make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly. Now you shall have this as a permanent statute to make atonement for the sons of Israel for all their sins 
once every year. And just as the Lord had commanded Moses, so he did. Let's pray. Living God, help us to hear your holy word that we may truly understand. That understanding we may believe and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 3 verse 24 that the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. And by God's grace, that is our aim today as we look in Leviticus at the Day of Atonement. The motions of ancient worship will shed light on our worship. We will see God's love not veiled in mystery, but fully exposed, revealed. Most of all, we will see Christ and be assured that we are saved by faith in his work on our behalf. Like the blood sprinkled all over the Day of Atonement, so the truth of Christ's atonement is sprinkled and staining all of the New Testament. Large words like reconciliation, propitiation, substitution, mediation are defined by looking backwards at these texts. And as a wise teacher, God has used pictures to give us a view of that which is unseen. God has forgiven all our sins in Christ. What is forgiveness? What is sin? Why is sin such a big problem? How does Christ's death deal with our sin? These realities, these truths, are put on display in these pages today so that we might know Christ and glory in Him, so that our hearts would be reminded of what truly has been done for us. These tangible rituals are signs pointing beyond themselves to spiritual realities And those realities are far greater, more perfect, more excellent than the signs themselves. You see, the people of Israel stood beneath the shadow of the cross. But we can see the glory of God casting his light upon it. And in that light, we see Christ on the cross, dying for the sins of his people, once for all, making full atonement. Atonement is not a word we use very often outside of the Bible, though it is a concept very familiar to all of us. At its most basic level, atonement means to cover, to cover. That idea has trickled down to us in the sense that when you take a friend out to lunch, you say, I hope, from time to time, I'll cover the bill. This one's on me. Instead of saying, I'll pay the bill, you say, I'll cover the bill. Instead of saying, I'll pay for your meal instead of you, we just say, this is on me. It's a transaction. This replaces that. And all is well. That is an acceptable transaction. That is a fitting swap. But 
Atonement's not just simply a swap. It is a corrective action. Something broken is being repaired. Something lost is being replaced. A debt is being paid. A wrong is being righted. The act of atonement is standing in the place of something else as a satisfactory substitute. And the day of atonement holds forth the way that the problem of sin can be covered. As we read in verse 30, For it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. You will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. The result of atonement then is the cleansing of sin. And it is the high priest of God who has been consecrated, who has been anointed, set apart, chosen by God for this duty. Himself cleaned first by atonement and then set forward to clean everything else from the defilement of sin. To clean the holy sanctuary, to clean the tent of meeting, to clean the altar, to clean the priest, to clean the people of God. All cleansing, a full cleansing, a full atonement. And so the gravity of such of an occasion is plain to see. The act of cleansing, all sin happens on one day of the entire year. And yet, we do see, as we read the rest of Leviticus, the atoning work of sin happening all throughout that book. The commandment to make sacrifices for the atonement of sin was to be perpetual. That's why the fire on the altar was to be perpetually kept burning as a symbol of that need. So then why, if atonement was happening happening continually, was a special day set aside for the once-for-all atonement of sin? Because it was a sign for those living in the shadow of something more excellent that was to come. One day, and only one man was able to accomplish the work. Here it is Aaron, the very first high priest of God's people, serving as the mediator, the leader of worship for the nation. And on this day, no other priest was allowed to even step foot into the tent of God, as was their usual allowance. An interesting reminder of the gravity of this day is forever recorded in these opening verses of chapter 16. You see, every time that Aaron would reference this text, review these instructions, what would he read first? Your sons died when they came before the Lord. Some reminders in life are more potent because of tragedy. But the negligence of Aaron's sons would forever be a reminder to Aaron and all his descendants and all the people of God that no one comes before the Lord in an unworthy manner. I am holy, says Yahweh. Don't forget it or you will die. Why is it so important to press that fact on Aaron? Why so imperative that we see such a strict adherence to all these rules? To remind ourselves that God will not leave sin unpunished. His holiness demands it. If you would, please turn back in Leviticus to chapter 9. Leviticus chapter 9. In verse 22, on the day of Aaron's ordination, having made all the sacrifices in accordance with the law, set forth by God through his brother Moses, we read in chapter 9, verse 22, 
Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them, and he stepped down after making the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Fire comes out from before the Lord and consumes the sacrifice. God's stamp of acceptance and approval for this atonement for sin for both Aaron and all the people, that it is accepted and the people rejoice and worship. And can it be? Now our priests may worship. Now they may intercede on our behalf. Now the way to God has been opened up because of the cleansing of sin. And now we can come before him and worship. And just one verse later, chapter 10, verse 1, what do we read? Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And then Moses said to Aaron, it is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. And Aaron, therefore, kept silent. In the process of atoning for sin, there is a means, and it is sacrifice. Blood will be shed to account for sin. Life will be taken in order that the life of another might be saved. An innocent will die so that the guilty may live, or... Or the guilty will die for their own sin. Remember this, Aaron. Remember this, my priests. Remember this, people. It is I who am holy. But one day, every year, I will set aside for this holy purpose. And one man, I will set aside for this holy task. And by one sacrifice, will I cleanse and make this place and these people holy again. One day, one man, one sacrifice to make atonement for the place and for the people. And so we see clearly in the manual a pathway being charted. And like all good instruction manuals, there's an order. There is an order to what must be done. So the beginning of Leviticus 16 shows us the preparations of both the sacrifices and the high priest. So this is where the manual tells you to get all the component parts out and in place for the ritual itself. Blood is the means to atone for sin. So the animals are set aside as substitutes for Aaron and for the people. Aaron's atonement and his offering will require the substitute of a bull and a ram. Aaron also represents his household, his family, all the Levitical priests. But for the rest of the people, two goats and one ram are required. So these animals are set aside. Then Aaron prepares himself for this role. He alone will come before God as a representative for the nation. So what preparations is he to make for himself? Well, what would you wear if you were to meet with God? 
for Aaron, it's, it's actually pretty simple. Wouldn't he just wear the high priestly garments that God meticulously spelled out for him in the law? God gave him to wear with his robes of blue and that chest piece of gold beset with jewels and all this intricate inlays and hymns filled with bells. It seems like the right, the right uh, uniform to wear for this high and holy day. But that's not, that's not what God instructs. On this high and holy day, Aaron is to put on simple white linen garments, the clothes of a servant, even simpler than the other priests would normally wear. Now, why would God instruct the high priest to dress down for this occasion? Because this is a shadow of something greater to come, a visible sign of the hidden reality that is to come. And so Aaron is also told to bathe his entire body, to be clean himself before he begins the work of cleaning. And so after we get through the summary of the purpose of these sacrifices, that's what 6 through 10 is doing for us, verses 6 through 10. Now we move into the instructions of the particulars in verse 11. The details of the layout of the sanctuary, of the tent, of the courtyard, and all the furniture of this process, those are spelled out earlier in Leviticus or later in Exodus, if you want to go back and check those details. But here, or excuse me, there we learn that the tent of meeting The tabernacle was designed by God himself, communicated in astonishing detail to Moses. It's in that place that God would fulfill his promises to dwell with his people. In this way, God would condescend from his glorious residence in heaven and set up a tent in the middle of Israel's camp. There we learn that the tabernacle was 45 feet long. A tent, 45 feet long, 15 feet wide, and 15 feet high. I figured some of you would like a visual aid, so I measured it this week. Uh, This platform, from corner to corner, is 45 feet. And from where I'm standing to the back wall is almost 15, and actually to the ceiling, 15 as well. And as far as I know, that wasn't planned. (laughs) But it's a good reminder, nonetheless, of what we're talking about in this tent Now, there were two rooms inside the tabernacle. The first room that you encountered when you entered in took up two-thirds of the space. In that space, the priests would continually minister day after day with offerings of bread and maintaining the lamps on the lampstand, offering prayers of incense on a small altar at the back of the room. And it's at that spot we can presume that Aaron's sons were killed. And at that place, behind that little altar of incense was a a giant thick curtain separating the second room, the one referred to here as the holy place, better known as the most holy place, the holy of holies. And inside that room, in which no man was to ever set foot, save for one day by one man, inside that room sat the Ark of the Covenant, is a box of wood overlaid with gold containing the tablets of the commandments of God, the testimony. And on top of this ark was a cover, a lid of pure gold with two angelic cherubim fashioned with wings outstretched to overshadow this lid facing 
each other and facing downward looking at the lid. In Exodus 25, we hear God tell us, there I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, it is to that place that Aaron must go to make atonement for the people into God's holy presence to the mercy seat. It's called the mercy seat because it is God's representative throne on earth from which he dispenses his mercy. Because in his mercy, this is the place where sin can be atoned for. In fact, the, the, the literal translation of that word, the one that Aaron would hear, the one that the people of Israel would hear, was atonement. The atonement place. The cover for this ark would itself be a covering, a place for the covering of the sins of the people, a place of atonement. What a merciful God to dwell among his people even in the midst of their sin and with every right that he has to judge them for it, to send out his wrath and to consume them, to take back the life which they so easily forfeit because of their disobedience and prideful rebellion. Instead, God covers. He dwells among them, but he keeps a distance in order to save them. He covers himself inside a tent where only consecrated priests may enter. He covers his consuming glory with a great curtain. He covers the covenant which testifies of his promises but also, as he looks upon it, testifies of his people's unfaithfulness to it. He covers it. He covers. He covers. He covers. And so Aaron steps into the presence of God only because God covers, providing a way to atone for all this sin and clean it away. So Aaron begins cleansing according to the laws set forth. He will stand in front of the tent and kill the bull. He will take the blood of the bull and he will take coals out of the great altar along with some incense and he will step alone into the tabernacle. Out of sight of all the priests and all the people, surely Aaron and the people are thinking the same thing. Will God accept this sacrifice? as Aaron walks over the very place where his sons died, will he too be consumed by God's holy wrath against their sin, against his sin? Before God's holiness, will Aaron be considered worthy? Aaron steps forth. He sets incense on the coals, and as the smoke begins to rise, he steps through the veil into the presence of God but he's not consumed. As the smoke fills that small room, it provides yet another covering, a shield against the blinding holy glory of God. And upon the lid of the ark, on the mercy seat, on the atonement cover, Aaron makes atonement for his sins with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it not only on the cover of the ark, but in front of it seven times, seven, the number of completion, because This is a full atoning of sin. And because God has accepted this atonement, 
Aaron can walk back out the way he came in. And now he is ready to begin the work of atoning for the people. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the scene when the people see Aaron step out of the tent? He is the only way that their sins can be forgiven by God. Because if he dies, they are without hope. If he is not found worthy, no one is. There is only one man and one mediator between God and us, and he just came out of the tent alive. A corporate (sighs) sigh of relief rises from the camp, but not rejoicing, not rejoicing, not yet, because the people's sin still needs to be atoned for. It must be accepted, the sacrifice for them. And so, as he did with the bull, now he does with the goat. We are told earlier in the text that two goats were prepared for the people's sins, and it was given to God to decide which goat would serve which purpose in atoning for the sins of the people. It was decided through the casting of lots. Now, we don't know exactly how this is done, but it's very much like the rolling of of dice, of drawing straws, pulling a name out of a hat. See, the point is not how the choice is made, The point is who makes the choice. And by those means, only God makes the choice. So the goat chosen by the lot cast for the Lord was to be the blood sacrifice for the people. Now Aaron would take that goat and likewise stand in front of the tent and kill it in view of the people in front of the tabernacle. That blood he would then take into the tent behind the veil again and begin the atoning work on the people's behalf to cleanse the tabernacle of their sin. He also sprinkled the goat's blood on the mercy seat and he sprinkled the blood in front of the mercy seat and then he moved backwards into the courtyard again and he sprinkled all the altar all the way around and the cleansing therefore could be complete. A full atoning for the holy place, for the tent of meeting, for the altar. Every pathway to God shall in this way be cleansed of the sin of the people. And now we reach this climax on the day of atonement. For all the sins of Israel, two goats were presented. That's unusual. In this instruction manual of corporate worship, it's very unique. It's that point in the instructions when you're putting together the piece of furniture that they need to remind you, you're gonna have to flip this over to put the legs on. It's a highlighted portion. It's emboldened and italicized with arrows pointing to it. Something significant needs to be considered here. For example, Aaron is to place both his hands on this live goat and audibly confess over it all the sins of the people. It is not strange that we would be touching a goat here. It is not strange that sins would be confessed here. That was customary. That was customary in the practice of sin offerings, should you choose to read that in the rest of Leviticus. But usually, sacrifices for sin were brought by individuals. So a man bringing a sin offering would bring his own goat. He would lay his own hand upon it, and he would kill it in himself. Leviticus chapter 4. But here, one man, for everyone, stands as representative for all the nation. One unblemished goat chosen by God for all their sins. 
And interesting enough, uh, of all the places we're told to put the hand on the animal, here, instead of one, we're told that he must put two. Nowhere else does that happen in the Old Testament. It's as if to convey that this one sacrifice is wholly unlike any other. Now, that is not the only unique aspect of this scene. Again, there are two goats, which is unusual. Verse 5 tells us, He shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering. There's a lot of clarity in one letter. A offering. One offering represented by two goats. That's very unique. But so is the name given to this second goat. It's called the scapegoat. It's only called that here in Leviticus chapter 16. It's just an old English translation. The escape goat. The goat that is removed. The goat that goes out. And it's that term that we use today even to describe an innocent person who bears the blame for the one who's truly guilty. Also unique in this scene is the reference to the man tasked with leading the goat into the wilderness. It is not the high priest. Instead, he is described as a man who stands in readiness. The word used for readiness also is not used anywhere else except here. Yet another indication that this event is the hinge on which the entire atonement swings. It's not told to us how he's chosen, but simply that he's ready. He's fitted for the task. He has been appointed for this time, for this very moment. This is the moment where all the work of removing sin, all the work of atonement, now lands on the head of a goat. And with the sin of the people now transferred to it, the goat is sent away to a remote area. Would it surprise you that remote is not used anywhere else in the Old Testament? Again, in the worship manual under the section How to Fully Atone for Sin, giant highlighter has been scrawled. This is imperative. This is key. This is how sin is atoned for. Here, look, look, right here, look. In the middle of this chapter, in the middle of the manual, in the middle of the law, a blazing light illuminating the uniqueness of this moment. This is how God deals with the sins of his people. This is what it takes. Full atonement requires blood and it results in the removal of sin the first goat shows us the blood the second goat shows us the removal of sin the first goat shows us the means of atonement the second goat shows us the effects of the atonement how does blood clean us from sin Leviticus 16 gives us the answer in two goats These two pictures of the atonement remind us that God does not ignore sin when it is atoned for. God does not forget sin in the sense that he somehow misplaces it in his mind. God does not lower his holy standards here. God deals with sin as it deserves, but because of his love for us, he does not deal with his people as they deserve. And so he removes their sin from them and places it on another. 
he sends that sin to a place separated from his people. That, that sin will never return. That sin will never wander back into the camp. It is cut off from ever returning, and no one can bring it back when God chooses to send it away. Where are God's people in all this? Where are they? I mean, all the preparations were made by the high priest, all the actions of atonement, his responsibility. He casts the lot. He kills the animals. He offers the blood. Save for a couple of anonymous men chosen for very specific tasks, what are the rest of the people of God supposed to do on this day? They don't bring their own sacrifice. They don't confess their own sin. They don't lay their hands on the substitute. Their role, their responsibility is spelled out in verses 30 and 31. For it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. You will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is to be a Sabbath of solemn rest for you that you may humble your souls. It is a permanent statute. On that one day, when the one man makes one sacrifice to atone for all their sins, the people are required to humble their souls. God's people, on this day you shall rest from your work. You will bring nothing to the table for the atonement for your sins, but you will humble your souls. You will humble yourself in quiet repentance as you meditate upon all that you witness. You will watch as God brings his chosen priest into his presence and presents that priest before you accepted. You will watch that man alone offer sacrifices pleasing and acceptable to God to clean away your sin so that you might be able to worship. You will watch and listen as he confesses before the Almighty Father all of your sins. And you will watch as all your sins are laid for you onto the head of an innocent one. And you will watch as that innocent one bears the burden of all your sins outside the camp, never to be seen again. You will only behold and humbly trust that all of this is how God is saving you from your sins. People of God, all that is left for you to do is believe. Israel, on this day of atonement, when all the fullness of sin is dealt with, Israel, will you believe it to be true? By faith, will you trust that God has forgiven all your sins in two goats? And church, do you see the cross of Christ casting its shadow on this day of atonement? As the people of Israel looked upon the movements of this holy day, year after year after year, are you, are you able to see God's hand of mercy pointing to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ? In one day, one man making one sacrifice to fully atone for all our sin? Because the sin of all the people has been atoned for, And because the tabernacle has been cleansed, the text tells us now, now worship can resume. And so we see worship resume after that second goat is sent out. 
Aaron returns to the tabernacle to bathe, to change back into his priestly uniform and to resume his usual priestly duties. That's where those two rams come back in, in case you were looking for them, right here. They're the standard burnt offerings by the law required. Now the man who sent the goat out into the wilderness returns, praise God, he returns alone. He washes himself in his clothes and then he's able to come back into the camp. The bodies of the bull that was sacrificed and the first goat that was sacrificed, those bodies are now carried outside the camp and burned in a designated place, also according to the law. Likewise, that man, the anonymous man responsible for his task of uh, doing that, of taking those animals out, he now must wash himself and his clothes and then he can return into the camp as well. So that every point of potential contamination These rituals will serve as signs to the people of God that he has completely removed their sin out of their midst. The atonement is now full. Now and only now is the way made clear for God's people to worship him according to his law, according to his will, to offer their ram, to offer their sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. Do you see the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16 pointing past itself to one final day of atonement where all the sins of God's people would be fully covered over by the blood of an ultimate sacrifice. One day on which all of history would turn. One day to which God's people before could look in hopeful expectation and those after could look back and remember with joyful celebration. One day in which all of God's people could be assured that their sins had been fully removed, that God's wrath had been fully satisfied and his favor fully received. Israel was listening across the silence of the future for three words just as we listen across the past and we get to hear them. It is finished. The day of atonement, atonement, it it points past itself to one man, Jesus Christ, the great high priest over the house of God. He would be perfect in all his ways. Though dressed in glorious attire as the son of God, Jesus would set aside his robes of royalty and take on the form of a servant instead. He would come forward not to be served, but to serve as a ransom, as a payment for many. And instead of the blood of another, he would bring his own blood into the throne room of God to testify he had paid the price to atone for the sins of his people. He would be the substitute. He would be the cover for sins, not his own. He would be that one sacrifice. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. That verse from Isaiah 53, it's only one in many of the glorious foretellings of Jesus Christ that he would take upon himself all of our sins and die on the cross as our atoning sacrifice. Isaiah points us forward 
But the author of Hebrews in the New Testament points us backward to this very day of atonement when he says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Hmm. So now the mystery is made clear. Israel was looking to sacrifices that did not actually atone for sin. Instead, they were looking at signs shadows of an atonement that had not yet taken place. But that, dear brothers and sisters, that is the power of the cross. That is the power of God's promise to mankind, both then and now and forever. Salvation, both then and now, is achieved by the sacrifice of Christ alone. And it is received by faith alone. It is in the believing in the promises of God and in the provision of God, what he provides. The law of God is not sufficient to save, but it is the grace of God all the same because it points us to the Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus Christ is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him. Past, present, future, whoever will trust in God's provision of one day, one man, and one sacrifice for all their sins. It was Jesus who declared in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. When we look at the Day of Atonement, we see that Jesus is all and in all. He is the tabernacle where we can find access to the Father through his body torn for us. He is the high priest who mediates on our behalf. He is the means of full atonement, the offering of his body, the cleansing of sin through his blood. He takes our sins for us, removes them far away from God, far away from us, as far as the east is from the west, and throws them into a sea without bottom, without shore. And all of this for you because of faith, believing and trusting that what God says is true. It is seeing our sin for what it is, rebellion against a holy God. It is confessing our sin to him and crying out in humble repentance for a savior. That is all that is required of you to be saved. It is trusting that Jesus Christ is that Savior who has perfectly satisfied the punishment for sin by taking the punishment himself. If you have not trusted Jesus, then this message is particularly for you. It is of greatest importance to you. Your sins are on your head. But Christ offers to willingly take them upon his The cross that you see, the cross that we glory in, is the demonstration, yes, of God's love. It is also a demonstration of God's wrath against sin. But it doesn't have to fall on you. It can fall on Christ if you trust that it has. I implore you today, trust Jesus. There is no certainty of what tomorrow holds for you. 
when Jesus rose from the grave, it was also a demonstration that thousands of years of recorded prophecy about him was true. All he said about himself was true. No man has ever risen from the grave by his own power because no man has ever stood before a holy God perfectly free from sin. But Jesus did. And on the day he rose from the grave, he walked out to the gasps of all of creation. God had accepted his sacrifice for our sin. Behold that lamb of God, He alone who is worthy, who takes away the sin of the world. He lives. He lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. What comfort this sweet sentence gives. Let's pray. It is our everlasting comfort, Father, that the risen Christ lives to intercede on our behalf, having accomplished the work that you sent him to do for us. Sin sin still abounds around us and even in us, but we have been assured by you, by your promise to us through your son, it will never separate us from you again. And so we worship you with a strange mixture of humble joy, like broken vessels that have been repaired, to hold the greatest of all treasures. We continue to live with remembrance of our sin, but greater is our remembrance of our sin bearer. We ask you, God, because we trust in your love for us that you will strengthen our faith and our hope in these glorious truths. We thank you for choosing us to be born on the radiant side of the cross, not in the time of the shadow we get to marvel in your glory displayed in full in the face of Jesus Christ. Because of you, Jesus, we get to boldly approach that throne of grace to find mercy and help in our time of need. And so we praise you. We praise you for this undeserved gift freely bestowed on us simply because we believe. Holy Spirit, please take every bit of joy every bit of thankfulness and praise before the Father on our behalf. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.